The spin is supported by NatWest. Why? Because NatWest loves cricket. The skills it teaches and the communities it creates and want it to be easy for everyone to get involved. To find out about how NatWest is helping make cricket open to all, search NatWest Cricket. It's the spin! This podcast might be a little longer than normal, and the reason why is that Test Match special commentator Dan Norcross is on the show, and he is a man who is used to talking for eight hours without pausing for breath. So we'll see how we go. We'll obviously chat about yesterday's England game, which I watched on a big screen outdoors in East London, and uh, it was a very interesting experience. At one point, they turned over to show Wimbledon, and I would like to apologise to anyone who was within earshot of me right at that moment. We've also got two other great guests on the show. Author Marcus Berkman, who has written some of my favourite cricket books, including Rain Men and Zimmermen, and has now written a cricket miscellany. And actor Prasanna Puanaraja wrote to play at the National Theatre about a Sri Lankan batter. I wonder what he's made of the actual Sri Lankan batters at this World Cup. Let's find out. England have qualified for the semi-finals. It's the spin! I'm Emma John and this is The Spin, the cricket podcast that was never in any doubt that England would make the semi-finals of the World Cup. Honestly, what were you all worrying about? Sitting around the boundary of our oval table today, Dan is at point, Marcus is at long on, Prasanna is at mid-off, I'm at my usual position in cow corner, and as ever, down at fine leg is our spare chair, in case Michael Aston should ever be free to join us. (laughs) Be still your beating heart. (laughs) It rarely is. (laughs) It is a vital stage of this World Cup, chaps, and no one wants an injury, so we have to loosen you up before we get into the big stuff. So here's the first question. What has been your most embarrassing moment on a cricket field? And I feel like, Marcus, as somebody who's written a couple of books about (laughs) embarrassing moments on cricket fields, you might have an answer to this. Yes, I was going to say the years 1979 to 2017, (laughs) um, (laughs) which is in my entire cricketing career, um, during which um, I bowled well, I gave up bowling in 1985 against Finchingfield in Essex when I completed a 15 ball over and I thought that's it for me on the bowling. So that was very embarrassing. I twice scored 30. Um, I never made more than 35. Um, I captained the side to, I think it was 99 defeats. Well, you the didn't entire get your century. Thing, I retired before I got my 100th defeat. And then there was, of course, the famous game in Marsh Gibbon in Oxfordshire when they scored about 155 or something. And um, it was the usual sort of low, slow, mud heap of a wicket and Harry and I uh, we were the opening batsman we went out and as I as we were walking out to bat I turned to Harry and I said we've got a chance here haven't we and he said yeah and I think I was the the fifth or sixth batsman to be out for not I can't remember but we were certainly the first batsman to score a run wasn't the number eight batsman (laughs) and he was run out coming back for a second (laughs) (laughs) and we were in the end seven all out and that was only because we only had, we had twelve players, so um, that was it. That, and that was that for some reason sticks in my mind, even though it's thirty years ago. Ah, what well, is a big shame? It occurs to me that you should have done a Bradman, and on the verge of your hundredth defeat, your number eleven should have batted out for a draw with about twenty overs to go, <laughs> and then you would have had sort of the equivalent of ninety nine point nine four defeats. But. <laughs> Very nice. Prasanna, do you play? I do really badly. 
my recollection of playing cricket is one single swirling red ball in the air that I've I've dropped in so many different ways. I once tried to run someone out and landed on top of the ball. I'm trying I, to I, picture this. Hold on, you tried yeah. to run so somebody it, out. Well, I'd, I'd have to sort of do a physical demonstration of how. <laughs> breathtakingly inept to this piece of fielding was and it came out of uh, all sorts of things like nervousness and insecurity and uh, a complete absence of ability as probably the major coefficient in all of that um, I, I bowled really awful in swing balls that were at sort of back of cereal packet type deliveries um, they weren't quick but they weren't slow enough for me to not open uh, the most embarrassing thing I think was uh, breaking a tooth in my very first game at the age of 10 my dad's a dentist <laughs> <laughs> um, Why is and, that um, funny? It's just uh, funny, though, it isn't it? Is, yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was completely over the moon. He was over More the moon. Work. He was yeah. over the moon. Um, absolutely thrilled. Be charged. Yeah. yeah. Wait, uh, how did? Can I just? I, how did we actually lose the tooth? Uh, fielding. It was a really well-intentioned long barrier. You used your head for uh, the long so, barrier. You got so, to the so the ball the ball bobbled on uh, the. Uh, you know, I'm going to say uneven outfield, Littleton, yes. Littleton Cricket Club. Yes. Lords. Uh, ran up my forearms and under my chin. And uh, five years later, I needed a root canal. <laughs> wow, <God>. vicious. <laughs> God. Dan, have you, have you ever embarrassed yourself on a cricket uh, field? Mo- mostly embarrassed myself on cricket. My very first game of cricket I ever played, a uh, school team was against University School London, whatever they were called, UCS. We were bowled out for four. All out for four. We lost only by we only lost by four wickets. See, they were worse than you, Mark. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I dropped a steepling catch with the scores level at four for six, and I'm convinced to this day we could have got a tie out of that game. <laughs> I also appeared in the highest partnership of our innings of two and got a leg by, which was never credited to me, about which I'm still furious. <laughs> I think the laws of cricket should be changed. I embarrassed my own internal sense of moral decency by getting a really thin edge to the first ball of our innings against the Church of England, and I walked. And I would never normally walk, but I suddenly got the fear, Pascal's wager, that, you know, if there is a God and you turn up at the pearly gates and he says, you didn't walk, you're going to eternal damnation. Uh, But I think, in all seriousness, the most shameful act I've ever been involved in in the cricket field, I captained the team for years, 15 years, our second 11, and we were playing against this team, old wall countings, I think they were, and they were old. They had a particularly irritating 70-year-old opening batsman who had played in their first team for about 20 years and had now got to the stage when, you know, he'd open the batting for the second team and bat all day and only get about 55. And you just couldn't budge him and it wasn't limited overs and we needed to get him out. And um, he just kept propping forward in the front foot to my incredibly beautiful <laughs> West Indian left-arm quickie. And, um, and I turned to Ramon and I said, look, he's, he's taken the mickey. What are you doing? You're just letting him just, you know, get one up his nose. (laughs) So sure enough, he comes in off the steam run, does exactly what I ask him to do, bowls his short ball, the bloke not expecting it, (laughs) still advancing on it, wafts at it, top edge, into his face, collapses onto the ground, blood pouring from his head, flicks his left bail off and then lies on the ground, passed out. I thought, oh, I've killed someone. (laughs) I've killed someone for 13 points in Division 4 of the second 11 Surrey Championship. What have I done? And as it happened, we had a leading lawyer of the um, Crown Prosecution Service was, was uh, our wicketkeeper. And I thought, he's, gonna, he's just going to take me away and, and chain me up. Not a bit of it. He said, Dan, look, he's hit his wicket. He's hit his wicket. Don't, don't let him get away with this. Don't let him get away with this. I've seen this before. They wake up, they go to hospital, they get stitches, they come back, they bat out the last 10 overs. Make sure you appeal. So, sure enough, the bloke 
bloke came round from, you know, mercifully about five seconds later. And he said, what happened? And my wicketkeeper said, you came down the wicket to our fast bowler, top edged it into your face, knocked the leg bait off and you're out! <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I'm terribly sorry. Um, can, I, can, I, can I get you some assistance? <laughs> anyway, so I'm walking him back to the pavilion and my lawyer, wicketkeeper, is still going, make sure you appeal, make sure you appeal. <laughs> and the umpire's got one umpire on one arm and me on the other, sort of dragging this bloke back to the pavilion and then to medical assistance and an ambulance. And as I got to the, the boundary line, I turned to the umpire and said, oh, by the way, I've still got the bloke in the middle. I said, how's that? <laughs> <laughs> and I've never received a look of such filthy disdain in my life. And I, I realised that that's shameful and terrible. I Thank God for this confessional. Thank I, you. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't was, believe you were worried about the church game not walking. <laughs> Although colliding those two stories together would infinitely improve if that was the Archbishop of Canterbury. Oh, that wouldn't have been good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I might change it next time and just lie. Why not? So on to England. And you don't need us to tell you that they walloped New Zealand yesterday by 119 runs, thanks to another massive opening partnership from Bairstow and Roy, including a second consecutive century for Johnny. And we certainly don't want to rub in the abject batting performance from the Kiwis, who were effectively out of the game by the 17th over at 69 for four. So, Dan, in the spirit of fairness, let's just ask this. Was the game won at the toss? Uh, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately it was. It's really strange, isn't it, this World Cup? At the start of the World Cup, all pundits always think they know what's going on. It's a bit like, you know, the great Sir Ian Botham always tells you what the pitch is going to do at the start of a test match. And if you flip it completely, you'll get the actual answer as to what the pitch will do. <laughs> a total 180-degree flip. Um, similarly, this was going to be the highest-scoring World Cup. The pitches were going to be perfect. The balls will be smashed around everywhere. We kind of forget that if it pours with rain for months on end, then groundsmen don't get the opportunity to roll perfect flat pitches like we've seen. And when we go abroad, we get quite a lot of lovely flat pitches because it's quite sunny. So the conditions have been different. And the pitches themselves have deteriorated really fast. So, I mean, I saw the Crick-Viz speed index. I've no idea how they calculate it. I don't know what it means, but you've got to kind of intuit from the fact that they throw some numbers at you. In the first 10 overs, it had an index of eight. And by the end of the innings, it had an index of 3.5. And when it started New Zealand's innings, it started at four. So somehow, in the course of 50 overs, that pitch had become slow and grabby and horrible. And England have now twice discovered that you can win a match of 50-over cricket by smashing it to all parts in the first 20 overs. And then you're done. I don't quite know why New Zealand didn't just declare and let us every, let everyone go home. Chester the Street's a long way away. There's a lot of journalists up there <laughs> to get trains and hotels in Leeds and then back to London. And the inevitability is so intense that um, I thought it was a typical of the Kiwis, because we always know they're scoundrels, cads and mountebanks. So, the cheatingest team, aren't they, in, in world cricket? They always have been. <laughs> I felt very sorry for them. I mean, uh, it, it, the England innings did mirror the one against India, didn't it, in exactly the same way. Was it enjoyable to watch, Prasanna? Well, I don't have the means to watch it, sadly. I'm a poor muggle, and so I listened on the radio while I was trying to learn some lines for a play. So no lines went in, but I very much enjoyed it. It took me back, actually, to the 90s. It took me back to Sri Lanka in the 90s which is a sort of style of play that we seem to have kind of forgotten because it was a bit um, it was a bit naughty and we shouldn't really play like that because, you know, it's not really the done thing. But it makes perfect sense, clearly makes perfect sense. We've got two extraordinary batters at the top, 
and they should just go and get all the runs and the game should be over by lunch and then um, you guys can uh, unfortunately sort of have to head head home yeah yeah yeah, yeah. pinch hitting yeah, we love that. it yeah it's great it's great well I mean I obviously I just couldn't watch it I just spent the entire morning not watching it and looking it on Crick Info and the Guardian over by over um, I just couldn't face it I because just, you, you felt too sick with nerves I'm utterly terrified oh and, me and, too and I'm so, so glad you said that and so the only time I actually switched it on was when it was it was pretty clear that England were going to win as soon as they got um, the first two wickets in the first uh, couple of overs I thought well this is oh I might watch it now and then it'll be fun <laughs> do you know what this reminds me of <laughs> this reminds me of, of 2005 and Edge Baston so we knew in 2005 that the England team was actually quite good. And we'd had the inoculating effects of the 90s from 1989 to 2002-03, where England never looked like beating Australia. Then after losing at Lords and then being so far ahead in the edge Baston game, but they nearly won. And as they came back in on that last day, what was infuriating was not that England were going to lose another Test match against Australia. It was that the whole summer was going to be ruined when it had the chance to be brilliant because England were actually good. And it was going to be so unfair and no one was going to believe me when I said, no, they're quite good, really, they could win. And there was a fear going into the India game and the New Zealand game that this one day side, which is undeniably brilliant, was going to let itself down and do what every other England team's done in World Cup since 1996. And all of our friends who don't really like cricket will just go, well, you're an idiot. Why on earth did you think this? So the relief... I think, of getting over the line. It's the same relief I felt when Billy Bowden erroneously stuck his crooked finger up to get rid of Michael Kasparovich. I feel that same sense of a burden being released. But then another part of me, I've seen an awful lot of games involving Pakistan, Bangladesh, India and Sri Lanka, thinks, as a country, we're rancid and awful and don't deserve to be in a World Cup final. It'd be much more fun watching <coughs> Pakistan play India because they really enjoy it and watch the game and get engaged and don't spend the entire time at the bar. So... Do you know, I'm sort of torn between my two very different selves. <laughs> That's fair. That's really fair. Like, yeah. yeah, those edge Baston games are a completely different vibe. But it's quite interesting hearing people going, this isn't cricket. It's like, it absolutely is cricket for the billion people that watch it around the world. That's, <laughs> that's all it is. You know, it's it's celebratory and it's extraordinary and it's exciting. Your parents are from Sri uh, Lanka. Sri Na- yeah, my- are, are they really into the cricket? Uh, so my parents are Sri Lankan Tamil. My dad is into it and therefore my mum isn't. I mean, I think he always wanted to be a cricketer. He'd get back from work when, when, I mean, this is in the late 80s, probably, early 90s when I was 9, 10. Uh, He'd get back from work and sort of go, right, get in the car. And we'd get in the car, me and him, with my little cricket set, and we'd go to the local rec, and he would just sort of bowl at me, what, most evenings in the summer. And I think in his head, he was in Karate Kid. He was kind of trying to train up this, <laughs> this, this genius prodigy. And I, w- I was, you know, I was in the Chuckle Brothers. <laughs> yes, you know, the two of us looked, I think, pretty ridiculous. But um, it's a huge game in Sri Lanka. The, the school games there all have nicknames like, you know, the Big Match or the Royal Thomian or like... <laughs> what are the names? Is, is, is it St John's? Is it St... Uh, well, there's, I mean, it's a very... I mean, there are lots of schools named well, after well, Saints, but there's Royal well, College and St Thomas's, which are the, it, two, yeah. the, the two key ones, which is actually like... You can watch those games on YouTube. They're commentated on. They have, you know, they wear coloured clothes and stuff. It's all quite pro. Um, well, Sangha Kaur used to play, don't they? Sangha Kaur. Yeah, I, I can't remember which one he played for, but, um, you know, Malinga is from Gaul. He kind of played on the beach and worked his way up through this other 
kind of route, I think. It's a really interesting game of the class layers in that country. Interestingly, there aren't that many Tamil players. Muralitharan is a real anomaly and, and therefore is something of a hero in the Tamil community as being the only player who really kind of punched through, particularly in the era of the, the Civil War, and also that he rose to such profound heights and mercurial skill so it's yeah it's sort of in the bones at home I mean I think dad prefers the highlights of the games because you know there's lots to do around the house (laughs) (laughs) well if he's watching the highlights he's got chores till midnight then he does Um, (laughs) just before we move on from the England game I think we've got to talk about that Mark Wood run out haven't we by the tippy tip tips of his fingernails I mean I looked at that over and over again and I thought the evidence was really that no one's ever going to disbelieve Mark Wood because he couldn't lie. But I didn't actually see, see the evidence. ball move. No. Oh, and I where did. was definitely? The... In fact, um, what was weird is that about twenty minutes after it had happened, I had a discussion on the phone with a friend of mine who felt as exactly as you had that he hadn't seen any uh, deflection, and I felt that I had, and we were having um, one of those ridiculous rows that goes nowhere. Can I make it clear that I, I do think that it touched Mark Wood's finger? So do Mark, I. Because Mark Wood can. He, there's no way he can. He's one of the, he's the loveliest man in the world, with the exception of Chris Wokes and and, and maybe Michael Atherton. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I, I'm sure, I'm sure it touched his finger. But if I was a third umpire there, I'd have really struggled to give to, it out. I know you need. I, I was just thinking, where's snickometer, or is there fingometer? Oh, of course, there should have been some fingometer action. Well, that's a really good point because they must have. Well, no, where's the too microphone? Far away. It's too, yeah, but it was. Right. You're right. It was a nice throwback to gentlemen and players mm. cricket, where it's just like, well, take this man at his word. He's <laughs> holding his finger up. At one point, he put it in his mouth. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> sort of sucked it to say, no, it did it hurt a bit? <laughs> <laughs> My last question about that game, by the way, is why on earth did I not know there was a streaker until about six hours later? There's a really good reason for this, and it's annoying and prudish broadcasters are encouraged not to mention it and the tv cameras don't won't show it to you and actually as a general i think on the radio we'd probably have to say there is an intruder on the pitch it's very silly you wouldn't quite get away with doing the john arlott thing anymore because apart from else, john arlott's already done it so we'd sort of ignore it because we're not supposed to encourage other people to do it so there's this weird thing where Truth is happening, and broadcasters are ignoring the truth because it's an, it's not a good truth. Fake news. And wag fingers. So you're saying, yeah, that there was, you're saying that there was no swarm of bees the other day? <laughs> Parade of nude people. Well, commentator going, oh, it's um, it's bees, it's bees. There's, there's loads of bees. Yeah, bee, oh, that's the Michael Caine line in the great film The Swarm when he looks out of the mountain. Bees, bees, nothing but bees. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no wonder they were smiling so much when they were lying on the ground. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, one other thing I really wanted to mention from that game was Mitchell Santner's catch, which I wanted to mention it purely because we have now had in the past seven days several of these catches that are, are so great because they happen when they've already gone past the fielder. Martin Guptill catching mm-hmm. Steve Smith. Yes. Steve Smith catching Tom Latham. And we were wondering whether we need a name for these catches and whether it should be the Panto catch because it's oh. behind you. Oh, ah, genius. Very good. I think you've answered your question. <laughs> I think, I think I, you've done it. <laughs> I thank you. Um, you can have it. Can I, can I just say that Mitchell Santner, by the way, is the anti-Rashid Khan, in that Mitchell Santner is apparently 27 and looks 12, and Rashid Khan is apparently 20 and looks 36. So there's something going on here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mitchell Santner, when he comes out to bat, looks like Harry Potter. Element of truth in that. Does, that, does anyone else feel like, when they go to the cricket, doesn't it just feel like the opening of the fourth Harry Potter book with the Quidditch World Cup, the sort of slightly bizarre, baffling, bamboozling situation of this weird game and people who are complete obsessives? And uh, like I, I live quite close to Lords and the big banners and things. I mean, I can imagine if you walk past Lords and you didn't know anything about cricket, you'd go, "What are they wearing? <laughs> what funny things on their legs!" And and, and it's it's always had this kind of this real joy about it that when I read those books, I felt a kind of total facsimile of. Wow. Um, yeah. Except I hate Quidditch with a massive passion because it's a sport invented by someone who doesn't like sport. You've got everybody up in the sky. Having proper jobs, getting one point each, and some little scrote just charges down, catches a thing, goes 126 to me, we win. I mean, no, it's 5 1. Oh, it's 6 2. It's 7 3. It's meaningless what's happening up there. Spoken it's like a, a true cricket stupid, fan. stupid sport, Quidditch. And I want it abolished. And next week on this podcast, we will have yes. J.K. Rowling's yes. right of reply. Yes. It's raining, so you lose. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, very good. Prasanna just won that argument. (laughs) India versus Bangladesh um, is another game that happened. Uh, (laughs) India are definitely through to the semi-finals after beating Bangladesh on Tuesday. What can we learn from that game, if anything? I feel like we can learn that Virat Kohli is possibly starting to lose his cool. Is Mm. that fair? He showed a batsman out. He, He pointed the finger and he said, that's out. And I thought that that was a thing that got you a fine these days. That's dissent, isn't it? Yeah, is it? Yeah. I'll tell you exactly what happened, and it was ludicrous. It was he referred an LBW, and it would have turned out ball tracking showed that it, he wasn't going to get the referral anyway. That it would have been unpassed course, so he'd have retained the review. Uh-huh. But because of the frame, there was a frame missing. It's not there's a frame missing. The ball moved between the two frames yes. to the point at which you couldn't tell whether it had hit the bat first right. or it had hit the pad first. Yeah. So because you've got to go with the decision of the umpire, which is that it's not out. The third umpire went with, well, it's an inside edge. If it's an inside edge, then you lose the referral. Now, because it wasn't possible to determine whether it was or not. That's so right. Be, yeah, right. That's right. So Coley lost his mind over whether or not he was going to keep a referral. He wasn't going to get the wicket. And that does indicate a certain oddness. He then pointed him back to yeah. the brilliant Shumya Sarkar. And then Jahal did similar with uh, Mushvika Rahim, because there would appear to be rather bad blood between Mushfika Rahim and India. If you remember the T20, World T20 some time ago, Mushfika Rahim got Bangladesh to within two runs of victory with four balls to go and started celebrating. Then India bowled them out and one by one run. Mushfika is held in quite low regard by a lot of Indians for his behaviour in that game. So when they got him out, they pointed him away. So I think actually, I don't know whether Kohli's losing is cool or whether... There's some animus between the two teams that was playing itself out there. And India were able to effectively knock Bangladesh out. So they were very pleased with with what happened. I think it was a very different Kohli to the one we've seen going out of his way to do a charm offensive this World Cup, being very, very smiley and... um, And walking and saying, don't boo Warner. Don't Mm. boo Warner. I think he's lost his edge. I think that's why he's not getting hundreds. I think he's spending so much time on the anti-sportsman bit, he's forgotten to just grind teams into the dust. Uh, People, someone who hasn't done, hasn't forgotten how to do that is uh, Shaqib Al-Hassan. He is the spin's favourite all-rounder in this World Cup and he scored another 66 and he was only two runs behind Rohit Sharma in the battle for most runs at the end of that. 
that game. So we're very proud of him still. Uh, Bangladesh, Marcus, if they win the toss and bat on Friday... And score about 700 runs. <laughs> no, no, if they just win the toss and bat, as soon as they do that, yes. Pakistan cannot get through to the semi-final. Wouldn't it be even funnier if Pakistan won the toss and put them in? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, anyway, that's the idea. <laughs> uh, so, um, Marcus, I think we know about tomorrow's game is that the Lord's Pavilion will be full of 250 school children because they have had ticketing issues and not enough MCC members have bought tickets and they don't want the pavilion to be empty. Don't you think that's rather charming? It is. Will they be forced to wear jackets and ties? <laughs> I think they are going to be told to wear school uniforms, but I don't think the tie is going to be obligatory. I think this is really good, by the way, because during the Women's World Cup final, they didn't turn up, and half of that match, you saw empty seats. There's 27,000 people in Lords. Yes. One of the greatest days of English cricket history. Certainly the best day I've ever watched live. And half the highlights show an empty pavilion. They played that at the Oval. These things would never happen. Lords. Bah! <laughs> Outside now, you and me, New, Newest test ground in London, Lords. <laughs> Dan, you mentioned the women's game. Uh, Australia women won the first Ashes ODI in Leicester by two wickets yesterday. It wasn't a great start to the series for England when they were out for 177, but they did keep themselves in the hunt as Australia made a little bit of a mess of the chase, I think. That's fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I mean, from 19 for four, and was it 40 odd for five, something dismal, wasn't it? Nat Siver got some runs, which is handy. It's quite a long process, isn't it? We've got two more ODIs to come, one at Grace Road, one at Canterbury. I'll be at that one. Then there's a test match and three T20s. So there's time for England to get it back. But I'll tell you the worrying sign is that Australia have got five times as many professional cricketers as England. England's squad hasn't changed massively over the last seven or eight years simply because of the number of women of the highest quality who are playing in England. The ones that England have are undeniably very good. Uh, Sophie Eccleston is going to be key for me. She's really tall, five, about five foot 11, bowls at about 55, 56 miles an hour, gets genuine grip. And she's got, the, according to Adam Gilchrist, the best wicketkeeper in the world uh, supporting her. Another brilliant stumping from Sarah Taylor. It was. Every year there's a clip on Twitter of the latest Sarah Taylor <laughs> wonder stumping and it's always fantastic and it always gets put out as brilliant, brilliant uh, clip and then about 30 unreconstructed maniac men say, well, any bloke could have done that. So it's only going at 50 miles an hour, isn't it? I mean, it's just rubbish, isn't it? And you sort of think, what? What are you actually watching? What do, what do you actually see? Her hands just flew to one side and then back in a nanosecond, leaving the batter totally helpless. So, um, I, I, I mean, Australia are favourites, don't you think? But England are still in it. It's a shame that it sort of crashes the, the World Cup a bit, isn't it? Mm. Sort of well, I don't know how else they do it, because the men's ashes start on the 1st of no, August. Sure. So yeah. the last women's ashes game takes place the night before. It finishes at 9 o'clock in Bristol, and then the men's ashes starts the next day. So... When you've got a, unfortunately, you've just got a season where you've got too much cricket. You can't have too much. Can't cricket. have too much, can't cricket. Have too much cricket. Talking yeah. of the impressive, uh, you know, spectacles on display yesterday, there was a fantastic catch by Rachel Haynes, which I would say was also a panto catch. Oh yes, it was another one that went behind her, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. Thank you. See, I'm, I'm so desperate to get this phrase into the GMS lexicon. I can do it. I can, I can do it, but I, I've got to keep credit to you each time, haven't I? <laughs> yes, that's I, exactly I credit right. Ian O'Brien with the strapple, which is the straight pull. So the Emma strapple. John panto catch. It's a straight pull. So yeah. you hit it down the ground, right. but it's a short ball, like a pull strapple. So this is the panto catch. Copyright. 
Um, does anybody know or have strong feelings about why there is no DRS system in this women's ashes? Strong feelings? It's outrageous. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. Especially because actually the quality of umpiring in women's matches has been pretty variable. Like the T20, World T20 we had recently, had some hideously terrible umpiring, abysmal. I mean, you need DRS actually more in the women's game sometimes than in the, in the men's game. Well, you need it in both games, but... Uh, you know, we had so much controversy in the Women's World T20 with just like poor decision making and umpires wanted to get involved. Do you remember there was a, a batter was actually warned for running down the pitch when she was coming down the pitch to hit the ball? Damn I mean, that's unbelievable. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I know Charlie Dagnall went absolutely berserk on commentary and uh, I listened to it with glee because he was furious with rage. But I think DRS, if it's... If it, Men need it when women need it. It's amazing. You're not allowed to use the pitch for what it's for. It's, sort of, oh. sort of, it's like my relatives who have the remote control in, in the little plastic bag. No. <laughs> we are going to take a quick break now, but Marcus, do you have a question from your book that you can tease us with? Here's an easy one. In 2017, who became the first double barreled cricketer to play for England since Norman Mandy Mitchell Innes in 1935? Find out the answer after this. Googlies, slog sweeps, dibbly dobbly bowlers. There are lots of reasons kids like cricket. It's fun to say, fun to play. It also keeps them moving, gets them talking, and helps them focus, which is why NatWest thinks everyone should have a chance to play. It partners with Chance to Shine, a cricket charity bringing the game to schools and communities across the country to give young people new skills, new experiences and more chances to use silly words. From the school kids turned brilliant bowlers to the city tape ball teams, NatWest has paired up with the Guardian Labs to tell more stories of making cricket a game for all. Read them at theguardian.com forward slash NatWest dash cricket. This message was paid for by NatWest. This is a spin from The Guardian, even more impressive than a Chesterly Street streaker. Marcus, before the break, you asked us a question. Yes. In 2017, who became the first double-barrelled cricketer to play for England since Norman, in inverted commas, Mandy, Mitchell Innes in 1935? I think that both our other guests know the answer to this. So uh, who wants to take it? Prasanna. I thought it was um, Crinklington Farquhar de Beeswax or something, but uh, I'm told not. (laughs) (laughs) It's, a, it, it's tall Middlesex legend uh, with slight back issues who uh, got the second fastest Pfeiffer for England or something. Uh, Toby, I'll leave you to fill in the blanks. Toby Rowland-Jones. Yeah, who plays at your club. <laughs> um, here's what else has caught our eye this week. Cricket seems to be evolving a new vocabulary. And Dan, I'm going to tell you I don't like it. Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the terms that I have heard creeping into common use that I have strong objections to. Uh, The first one, tail instead of swing. When and where did that emerge? Because I went away. uh, I've been in America for a a while and there was no talk of tail before I went. (laughs) And since I've been back, I hear it all the time on the commentary and I find it very off-putting. It's Aussies, isn't it? Is Is it it Aussies? I I think they're to blame for every single neologism that's crept into cricket. Awful ones like cherry, uh, the rock. Yeah, it's got a new rock. New cherry. Like the new cherry. I hate it. (laughs) 
yes, I, the, the other one that I really hate that the kids use, and by kids I mean, you know, that cabal of horribly talented journalists in their late 20s and early 30s that are doing awfully good work. They're brilliant writers, but their use of the word worldy to describe a catch that's very good. Worldy? Oh, that's an absolute worldy. That's a disgusting word. It and is a disgusting <laughs> word. It comes from... It's world-class. It's a world-class catch. So oh. he's pulled off an absolute worldy there. That new cherry was tailing in, <laughs> and, he's, and he's let back, and he's pulled off a panto worldy. <laughs> hey, don't bring my idea down into this. Another one I hate is downtown. Um, we've mentioned this on the oh. podcast a couple of times, but downtown, what does that actually mean? Does it have to be a six that goes straight back past the bowler's head? You can't, you can't downtown actually lives at Long On, is it? That's where downtown is. I'd so, say, wouldn't you? Well, it's, a, it's a basketballism, isn't it? It's a, ah. a, a basketball shot from way outside the three-point line. You'll, you'll have a commentator shouting from downtown. Oh, so like a Hail that, Mary yeah, in American yeah, football. Yeah, and I think going upstairs really annoys me. What's that? No, I don't mean oh, yeah, it's geographically or geospatially. Um, <laughs> also, I live in a flat. This is when the decision's been when, referred. When, when there's a zero. Yeah, yeah, going yeah, upstairs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I think I, I might have used that, I think. Is it creeps? The awful well, thing is it creeps in because... Just know that I'm judging you. Well, and you're right too. <laughs> and it also assumes that the third umpire is upstairs when I've always pictured third umpires in a basement... No, with no windows. Yeah. No, they're very, very upstairs. I sort of want, you know, <laughs> you, you know when they cut to the little screen of uh, the, 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 the DRS room, I sort of want them to be kind of having a party or something, or <laughs> eating a sandwich and then, then scrambling to kind of, oh, no, we're on. God, it's so quick. <laughs> I had a genuine belief that I could save the ICC an enormous amount of money by having all the different cricket matches on at the same time. All line decisions could be done by me lying in bed having a fag and a bottle of wine. Because, do you know, it's not rocket science, is it? Has, like, it, has that bat gone over the line? Yes, no. You know, I mean, you really don't need a degree in cricket to work it out. I love this. This is the <laughs> this is the panopticon principle yes. as applied to yes. cricket. You only need the one. Correct. Um, what about bilateral series? I mean, that has come out of nowhere for me. People referring to just normal cricket series, whether they're ODIs or tests, as bilaterals. When did we get all statesman-like about it? Well, I think it was after, the, uh, you'll find, the 1912 series of matches, the triangular tournament between England, South Africa and <laughs> Australia, which uh, was very novel. And, of course, that being a three-team tournament, we had to introduce another word. So, I mean, you were probably out of the country in 1912. <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm kind of with you, but I think what we're trying to do is find a word that we can make sound both technical and scathing. <laughs> Right. Because what we're trying to say is cricket is ruined by bilateral series clogging everything up because they're meaningless. Um, they have no kind of context and they don't make any sense, whereas, you know, every, the other things are. So rather than saying pants cricket, we say bilateral. I think that's what it is. What's, but, a, what's a unilateral? Is, is a unilateral just a net really, session? I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a, a net. That's a net, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're just, just going for a unilateral. <laughs> there is a long history of theatre and cricket enjoying each other's company. There's a very famous actors cricket team, among others. But what has been, do we think, the most theatrical moment of this World Cup? Uh, I mean, I think there's quite a few contenders here. I think Coley's finger... The streaker, the streak was pretty good. The fact that but got we didn't to see the streaker. Yeah, you well, mean, all we could see was Jason Roy's face on the screen, Theater. on the TV, and, and yeah, well, that's Jason Hitchcock, Roy. isn't it? That's, that's how Hitchcock it. works. Yeah, that's it. You just, just uh, you know, it's always, it always go to the reaction shot. Well, in, yes, it lasted about two or three minutes. <laughs> Jason Roy's just looking slightly goggle-eyed. 
Um, and I love the, the honesty of, um, was it Smith who was caught by Gupta around the corner? The utter, genuine, yeah. dripping bafflement which uh, was the most, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very into kind of very truthful, very honest acting. And I looked at that and I thought, that's completely unguarded rage. In fact, he does that every, <laughs> every time. Every time Smith gets out, he's, he's a different form of furious, yeah. isn't he? Because he, he doesn't understand how he can be out. Apparently, I mean, what was it Finch said about how, you know, the boys are, all the boys have gone out, you know, been partying and celebrating, and you know, we've done this, and the other. And, uh, and Steve Smith, oh, he'll be shadow batting in his bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> because, because he can't do anything else in his life. So every time he's out, it's the biggest affront there is. So I, yeah, he's continually theatrical. But to me, the single most theatrical person in the World Cup is Ravindra Jadeja. He doesn't appear on the team sheet, and yet he fields for 48 overs, <laughs> while Rohit Sharma has some chai and puts his feet up and takes it easy. Or whoever it is that, that's... I mean, it's probably on a rotation system with India. You know, you pull your name out about, oh, great, I've got the day off. And then Jadeja comes out to field and then pulls off a genuine worldie uh, <laughs> at long on, diving forward as that skimmer off Jason Roy. That, that to me, has been the best catch of the tournament because it's virtually impossible to take that catch. And it, those ones that come at you low yes. and you go forward, your, your dentist father would be delighted if more people did that because he would just be inundated with work. Well, he worked in the <laughs> NHS, so uh, I mean, it was more not. sort of rearranging the jaws of Southampton fans. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe not your father, but, but, but other, other more entrepreneurial dentists would thoroughly be recommending that catch. And then when he got up, he just, he did this wonderful sort of like moustache twirl. Because to me, he looks like a silent era villain who's going to tie a woman to a railway and, and, you know, wait for it to be done. And in the same game, in complete contrast to that silent movie villain, this is a full theatrical story, Chris Wokes, 1940s pilot. I'm sorry, Elsie, I may not make it back. Hair slicked. <laughs> totally phlegmatic. He pulls off the second worldie of the day, running around the boundary, leaps forward, takes it two-handed, and then just looks, oh, looks at the ball in his hand and then just gently passes it back to the umpire. Brilliant. My event that I was going to nominate was Trent Bolt's hat-trick. And the reason I liked that so much was because it was not at all theatrical. It was extremely underplayed. In fact, it was almost cinematic rather You're than absolutely theatrical. absolutely right. And it reminded me, have you ever seen an um, old film of John Snow bowling? John Snow, incredibly angry fast bowler, the template of the uh, incredibly angry fast bowler. And he'd, he'd race in and he'd take a wicket and everybody else would be uh, hands up, screaming, and he would just wander straight back to his mark because he, he, he was completely uninterested or he was just interested in getting the next person out. Trent Bold, very, very modest, you know, a little smile, Bold, another Yorker, out, out, out. Wonderful. Totally underplayed. Just, Loved it. He just turned round at turned the round. end of his follow-through, didn't he? He straight back. Just fantastic. The exact opposite of an Imran Tahir. Yes. Oh, yeah. We have yes. not. I feel like we haven't seen enough of him this tournament because hasn't taken enough wickets, probably. <laughs> um, but he genuinely does run downtown. I mean, he sort of gets on the, on the bus and does a victory lap. He and has. Uh, he has run out of the ground and, and not found his way back. This is genuinely true. <laughs> he, he has celebrated by running out of the ground and then didn't know which exit he'd, he'd gone. Um, TMS did a basic back of a fag packet calculation. Obviously, not literally a fag packet. We can't do that. It's the BBC. Uh, in which his shortest celebration we have measured at 51 metres using 2 pi R and uh, half and a sphere and, and all that and stuff. And Hubble. And Hubble, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah he's, 
yeah. I'm, I'm, his teammates must get so fed up of it because they just they have to mm. run after him and follow him. Well, they don't have to. That's the thing. And the brilliant one was when they didn't bother. Superbly, <laughs> he, he ran like crazy towards Rabada, and he normally does. I think it's three, isn't it? Three ridiculous fist pumps. And Rabada just got him round the shoulder in the second one, and the rest of his teammates were milling around, chatting on the pitch. <laughs> he was 60 metres away on his way down to St John's Wood Station. It was brilliant. Understatement is what we're talking about then, isn't it? In terms of commentary, in terms of theatricality, it's sort of, you know, when Junior Murray got hit in the, well, in the box. But I can't remember who the spinner was, but you could see this ball sort of twirling its way inexorably and, and, and gripping for the only time I think in that over <laughs> as it landed. And, and, and the whole the crowd sitting on the big screen in this kind of horrified gasp. And the TV commentary was so wonderful. It was Benoed and, and there was a pause that was of perfect length. And he went, that's missed the left thigh and the right thigh. <laughs> Just glorious. If you're going to do brief groin-bothering anecdotes, this newspaper, The Guardian, has the greatest single line of cricket writing I think I've ever read by Jeff Lemon when discussing a test series between Australia and Sri Lanka and Rangana Harath had taken loads of wickets and had also batted really, really well. And in one game, he was hit amidships by... I can't remember if it was Stark or Johnson. really, really hard. And he went down and he went... As he went down, the stump Mike picked it up. And he tried to keep going, but he, he, had to, he had to actually go off. It was so bad. And Jeff Lemon, who had made this a PN to Rangana Herath's genius, said, even the grapes of Herath, <laughs> when crushed, gave out a little wine. Oh. Which is, for my money, the greatest single line in cricket writing. So well done, Guardian. Well done, Jeff Lemon. <laughs> That's brilliant. County cricket. Remember that? Well, we've been focusing all our nervous energy on the World Cup, 41 games still counting. One superhuman woman has been covering both the internationals and following all of the county action. She's the Guardian's Tanya Aldred and she's on the phone now. Hi, Tanya. I have not seen any of the championship games this week, but I am aware it's been a big week for the county cricket scene. So can you just fill us in a little bit on what's been happening? It's been a really good week of county cricket, actually, because a couple of rounds before have all been set off at different times. We've had a couple of matches starting on the Thursday or something and then a couple more on the Friday. So although matches follow a thread you haven't got that same pattern of the sort of four-day period when every match is working its way to its conclusion so that was really good and we also had eight games going so we had everyone apart from Gloucester and Leicester I think who were playing but yeah it was all a bit crazy yesterday evening when um, Yorkshire sort of beat Surrey with 10 balls to go I think at Scarborough the Surrey looked like just before tea they'd looked like they were going to win quite easily and then they had a brain fade and lost two to nothing and then sort of seven to twenty odd and Scarborough is such a great ground I think they had 11,000 or something in over the four days and wow. they had beautiful weather I know so it's pretty good I wasn't there but if you look at the pictures you know blue sky full crowd and Mark Stoneman do, scoring a century yeah he's actually done well this year as has Gary Balance so there are a few old England names going back a few years who have been making runs this year you're never quite sure which way the selectors looking for the ashes yeah and what about the Aussies because there were a couple of Aussies who are making some runs too aren't there yeah so Cameron Bank who you might know sort of sneaked in as Durham captain this year after all the kerfuffle with the sandpaper. And he hasn't really got off to a great start, but last couple of games, he's slowly been playing himself into form and he did a sterling job at Tedborough against Lancashire in this last round. 
Um, Lancashire without Jimmy Anderson, who you might know, limped off with a tight path, I think the ECB called it. Yeah, um, they, they did, and sent us all into little anxious huddles about what is the current state of his calf. Do you have any update well, on that? The calf update was that he was able to bat with a runner, so they obviously didn't put him fully into cold storage, which I think they would have done if it was anything too serious. But he didn't bowl, and I think he was going for a scan. But the fact that he was even allowed to walk out with a bat, I think, suggests that it's it's nothing too bad. So you were telling us about Bancroft? Yeah, so he got 92, not out, and guided a, a slightly flaky Durham batting lineup into a draw. And then in Division 2, you've got, now I can't say his name because I have to say it the way that I'll spell it, because otherwise I'm going to spell it wrong. So it's Marnus, and then I say Labus Chagner. I'm sure that's wrong. <laughs> I think it's Labuschagne. He was the first to a thousand championship run, um, got a couple of centuries in the match for Glenorgan, who looked like they might be promoted this year, which is fantastic news for them. And Somerset are looking like the team to beat in Division 1, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it is. They really are looking good. Obviously, they're without... Trescothic was dropped. <laughs> that's an awful thing to say. Um... Uh, sort of surprising thing to hear as well at any I point know. in an England summer. I know, you can't, you can't really believe that's happening. So he's announced his retirement at the end of the year. Whether he'll make his way back into the first team, I don't know, because they've kind of got themselves this really tight unit of players. Their captain looks about 14, doesn't he? Tom Abel. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're all really young. So Tom Abel looks really young. And then there's Tom Banton, 20, and George Bartlett, who I've heard is a real one to watch. There's some real talent there in that batting lineup, and then they've got Lewis Gregory who's taking wickets for fun. I think he's taken 44 wickets this season. I feel bad, I don't want to jinx him, but unless they slip up, they should be looking to collect the title at Taunton. I think they've got two home games in September. Oh, that would be a lovely story. It would be a lovely story. Well, thank you very much. I feel very well caught up now. There's loads going on. And actually, there's one name that I should possibly mention with England and if we're sort of jumping ahead to Ashes, who's Dom Sibley, who has had a fantastic season. He's got double century yesterday, albeit on a flat pitch. I think he's got nearly a 1,000 championship runs. And I read an interview with him the other day saying that he's not the flashiest, you know, he's not the most stylish, but what he does have and he really enjoys is concentrating for long periods of time. So I suspect that he is starting around selectors' minds, so it'd be interesting to see the first Ashes squad, really. Yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on him. Thanks, Tanya! Bye! We couldn't have Marcus here without asking him to bring some of his legendary pub quiz questions, which Dan and I know about well because we have been to your pub quizzes. You have? One of us has won one of your pub quizzes. <laughs> Well, a modesty precludes. No, no, that was me. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Wait, have you won one too? About five times. It's modesty and fact <laughs> together uh, preclude you from making <laughs> <laughs> is, is it as many as five times? Well, it was three of the first four, okay. and then there was uh, there was a little bit of Can I just point? I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't actually at any of those quizzes. No, no, no you probably a bit, you would have beaten me. I'm sure had you had you been there. But you weren't, you see. You snooze, you lose. <laughs> so Marcus has written a question for each of us. And because we like a little healthy competition, here are the rules. There are two points for getting your own question right. And a bonus point for anyone else who writes down the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> 
which point everybody in the studio is getting very excited and looking for pen and paper. Marcus, who do you want to quiz first? Well, I think Dan, because um, the thing is that Dan has actually read my book, Berkman's Cricketing Miscellany, and learnt, is it right you've learnt all of the quiz questions in there but by heart? I've got very, very poor memory, Marcus. You can ask me <laughs> any of the questions in there and it would be as if it was for the first time. Yes. OK, well, I believe that. So, the, uh, so your question, which is actually very straightforward, is um, whose nickname is the Sledgehammer of Eternal Justice? Ah, yes, that's uh, Ian Ronald Bell of Warwickshire and England. <laughs> I'm just holding up my sheet of paper. I had that down before Dan said it. Yes, you did. Yes. That sounds like a nickname for a sniper. Andy Zaltzman coined it because he thought it was completely inappropriate. Yes. Uh, Jared Kimber wrote about Ian Ronald Bell that um, his cover drive was so beautiful he expected a billionaire businessman to buy him and stick him naked in a birdcage to play it all day long. <laughs> Next question. I think it's to you, Emma. This is when we realised that, uh, like certain England batsmen, I'm actually not very good under pressure. Dominic Cork named his autobiography Uncorked. Richie Benno called his My Spin on Cricket. In fact, I've got an entire chapter about terrible puns and um, in, in the titles of people's autobiographies. Name one of the two England batsmen who wrote books called Opening Up. Well, Michael Atherton. Uh, <laughs> if I didn't get that, I would have to give back my fan badge. Oh, no. Um, Prasanna's put Treskothic, and that's wrong. And two oh. question marks. A gooch. You don't get a point per gooch. question mark. <laughs> no, the other one was Boycott. Boycott. Boycott wrote one um, oh. about... You know, some long distant tour. Okay, um, I've got. Um, well, I've got a very incredibly hard question for you, Prasanna, which um, you're Ooh. going to love. Well, here we um, go. In 1900, while playing for the MCC um, against London County, this man, more famous in another field, took his first and only first-class wicket. It just happened to be W.G. Grace, who was this bowler. I have no idea, I'm afraid. No, you've just put Gooch. Arthur, uh, yes, oh. Arthur Conan Doyle said that. I also put Arthur oh. Conan Doyle? <laughs> you did. So two, has her you point did. You were, I know, you were watching. <laughs> this is not this is not a shameless not grub for a true. point, but a, an, an ancient neuron just w- w- woke up in my mind. I think at some point I've read that or something. And you will have yeah, known it. That's what's like, wonderful ah, about these questions. Yes. You know the answers yeah, to them all. Yes. That's why they're brilliant, but you just, just can't access them. The opposite of medical school. So I'm going to graciously declare that a draw, even though I won. <laughs> <laughs> well done, you. I definitely <laughs> lost. I mean, I, I, with, without question, I've come last. Uh, Prasanna, <laughs> please come back and we'll, we'll do this all over. Again. We'll make the questions easier. I'm afraid that, sadly, it's time to say goodbye to my guests, Marcus, Dan and Prasanna. We can finally say it. Next week, we'll be back to preview the semi-finals, and they include England, who are now just two wins away from lifting the World Cup. I can't wait. See you then. The Spin is supported by NatWest. To find out about how NatWest is making it easier for everyone to get involved in cricket, search NatWest Cricket.